and Congressman Paul Ryan are traveling across the Old Dominion, making the case that they are the change America needs. Both Republicans and Democrats feel this toss-up state is a must-win for them come November. I'm Peter Mayer in Washington. Democratic reaction to the choice of Paul Ryan was swift and direct. The Obama campaign calls him the architect of a radical Republican House budget plan. The Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee describes the GOP ticket as a match made in millionaire's heaven. Democrats and Republicans alike now see a campaign of sharply contrasting visions. Former President George W. Bush calls Ryan a strong pick. KYW reporter Hadas Kuznis tells us about a big rally by union members in Philadelphia. Busloads of union workers flocked to Philadelphia for the Workers Stand for America rally. Leo Gerard, international president of the Steelworkers Union, says they have a message they hope elected officials pay attention to. The point of this rally is to express to people that it's the labor movement that helped build the middle class. It's the labor movement that's going to stand up and fight to rebuild the middle class. The point was to present a new workers' bill of rights. And it's pretty simple and it talks about the kinds of things that would be good to rebuild the middle class. The five points include the right to employment, participation in the electoral process, a voice at work, a quality education, and a secure future. Hadas Kuznets, CBS News, Philadelphia. An Afghan police officer has killed at least 10 of his fellow officers at a checkpoint in southwestern Afghanistan. The attack comes a day after six U.S. service members were gunned down by their Afghan partners. The U.S. and Turkey are setting up a plan to deal with worst-case scenarios in Syria. Meeting with a counterpart in Istanbul, Secretary of State Hillary Rodham Clinton says they need to be ready in the horrible event that chemical weapons are used. She says President Assad will leave power somehow. Our goal, number one, is to hasten the end of the bloodshed and the Assad regime. That is our strategic goal, and we have to analyze everything against that goal. Clinton says the U.S. and Turkey will form a working group to coordinate military, intelligence, and political responses. American women are certainly a force to be reckoned with, but not defeated at the Olympics. The U.S. basketball team has won its fifth straight gold medal by beating France. The team now has a 41-game winning streak at the Olympics. Runner Usain Bolt picked up his third gold medal. He and his Jamaican team set a world record in the 4x100. This is CBS News. Today, my journey to help save people money on car insurance brings me to a shopping mall. Of course, when it comes to shopping for car insurance, most people go to Geico. I mean, with all the discounts they offer, why would you shop anywhere else? There are discounts for complete and defensive driving courses, multi-policy discounts, and discounts for being accident-free. You know, this mall is a real maze. I think I passed that candle store about five times. For a free rate quote, visit Geico.com to see how much you could save. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Jay with SafeLight Auto Glass. We know you depend on your vehicle. So when you have auto glass damage, you need it fixed fast. SafeLight has more glass in stock than anyone. So when you schedule a replacement with SafeLight, we'll get you back on your way faster. Plus, our work is backed by the only national lifetime guarantee, keeping you covered anywhere. Just tell your insurance company you want SafeLight or call 1-800-800-2727 or go to safelight.com. SafeLight Repair, SafeLight Replace. It's an icon to shopping, and it's turning 20 years old. When the Mall of America first opened its doors, people thought it was a crazy idea. 20 years later, it continues to evolve, continues to refine itself, and it stays fresh, and that's why people keep coming back. And according to mall spokesman Dan Jasper, they're coming back in packs. The mall gets 42 million visitors a year and over 800 million since the mall opened its doors on August 11, 1992. To put that into perspective, that's more people than the combined populations of North Dakota, South Dakota, Iowa, Montana, Wyoming, and the entire nation of Canada. To celebrate, the mall will be giving away 2,000 pieces 
a birthday cake. Edgar Linares, CBS News, Minneapolis. The wife of the first man to walk on the moon says he's amazingly resilient and making progress toward recovering from heart surgery. Carol Armstrong says her husband, Neil, has been able to get out of bed, sit up in a chair, walk up and down the corridor. Neil Armstrong turned 82 years old last Sunday. Sam Litzinger, CBS News. Listen, if you're considering buying hardwood flooring, don't do anything until you've written down this number and received your free Lumber Liquidators catalog. The flooring was high quality with an unbeatable price tag. Call in the next 10 minutes to get your free catalog. What I bought at Lumber Liquidators is a vastly higher quality than flooring I had installed six years ago and for a fraction of the cost. So if you want great hardwood flooring at unbeatable prices, trust Lumber Liquidators. We buy direct from the mills. Call right now to get our flooring guide and catalog absolutely free. It's filled with top quality hardwood flooring, including solid hardwoods, laminates, and bamboos, and even Bella Wood prefinished flooring with a 100-year transferable warranty. The same floor Bob Vila has in his home. This free catalog is full of tips, ideas, and our flooring project list to make your buying decisions easy. Hurry, call right now to get a copy of this free guide and catalog. Call 800-690-9490 to get your free copy now. 800-690-9490. 800- 690-9490. KWFM South Tucson. The views of this program are not necessarily those of KWFM, its management, or its sponsors. The host is solely responsible for the content. content. On a mission given to me by Woody Shaw, Sunship, Dizzy, and Billy Higgins, dedicated to pursuing a piece of our cultural heritage through interviews with my jazz heroes, this is the Jake Feinberg Show. Welcome everybody inside the studios of KWFM 1330 The Star. This is the Jake Feinberg Show, and it's a pleasure to have you all along with us today. My guest today is my first local musician interview. Up to this point, my guests have been from the coasts or overseas, but I realized several months ago that in order for the show to be truly authentic, I needed to scout out the local brotherhood in Tucson. My guest did not grow up in Tucson. He grew up in hardscrabble Newark, New Jersey, and found his musical talents at the famed Arts High School. He coupled this with Warren Sapp-type skills and wound up at the University of Michigan football team. And while he may have been pissed that the lineman who chop-locked him had effectively ended his career, it opened the door to the Amosphere. In essence, a musical career of a multi-instrumentalist, bass, Horns, percussion, 
piano, wind, vocals, and more. He plays styles such as free jazz and African jazz, funk and soul, Native American, swamp boogie, and rock. He has played with, among others, Sun Ra and the Omniverse Orchestra, Stephen Stills, the late, great Eddie Marshall, great R&B singer Gene Carn, the electric flag bassist and former Tucson native Harvey Brooks, and the preeminent Native American flautist R. Carlos Nakai. Life would be flat without music, and life in Tucson would be flat without Amochib Dabney. Welcome to the Jake Feinberg Show. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. I wanted to ask you, just starting off, um, can you talk a little bit about, you just had a birthday, and uh, and last night you celebrated in fine fashion at the Chicago Bar, so talk a little bit about that and how it all came about. Yeah, I'm actually wearing shoes made of cake. Uh, <laughs> it was such a wonderful event that uh, all these people showed up. We were celebrating, among other things, my 58th birthday. Uh, which occurred Wednesday, August 8th, but uh, I was up in the Bay Area celebrating it with my 84-year-old mother, Tina, and we had a great time. Jill and I went up, we had a great time. My brother's up there, his wife and my nephew, who was another up-and-coming saxophonist, multi-instrumentalist, Jordan. Anyway, we had a good time, so we came back playing the uh, Chicago Bar Saturday, uh, Friday night, which is our normal night, our regular stop there, come on down. And uh, the guys planned to make that the birthday bash. So we had a multitude of Tucsonans show up and the dance floor was packed all night because it's really a hard driving dance band, uh, the atmosphere. So uh, thank you everybody who came out. Uh, thank you everybody who came up and played because we have several musicians show up and want to play. Kevin Robinson, Bob Sanford, uh, Eric Garcia showed up and killed the guitar last night. So. It was a good good night, a good time was had by all. You know, you like we said, you know, the genesis of this started in in Newark, and uh, that's where you were born. And I wanted to talk to you, if I remember correctly, in previous conversations we've had, you know, your parents, I just, I wanted to talk to you about the way your folks taught you to view the world. Well, um, I was actually born in Washington, D.C. in 1954 in Georgetown at George Washington University Hospital. My father was uh, a cab driver and slash tailor, up-and-coming up tailor. It was his ambition. Uh, and my mother, at the time, was working at the Pentagon as you know, in the secretarial pool. So when she came out, there, my, there was my father with the cabbies lined up in front, like at the airport or something. <laughs> you know, and he was a charismatic fellow, so they struck up some sort of a relationship and got married and you know, had my brother and myself, my brother Mike. Uh, he's 18 months older, so we were very close. But... My father didn't make the final cut. So, you know, uh, coaches being hard, uh, he made the, the first round, but then he got cut. And so my mother moved to New Jersey where she had a sister in Newark. And that's how that episode began in like 1957. So you were still a young, a young boy. I was two. You were two years old. So, so then, so you're, you're being raised by your mother. Yeah. And, and in a town that, well talk about Newark at that time. Well. Newark had uh, gone through its second transformation. Newark used to be a really great city. You know, New Jersey was like where all the teachers came from. That's why ended up with Princeton and all these good schools back there, some Ivy League schools. But Newark itself had started to deteriorate in the 60s, you know, for various reasons, you know. And uh, it had become kind of a hard place to live, you know, unless you could get out. So we lived in, you know, public housing at the time. And then one of my mother's ambitions was to save enough money 
to buy a house, which she did in 1965, getting us out of the projects just before they really became, you know, sort of armed and dangerous, if you will. You know, our day, it was like a knife fight or something. Hey, look out, you know. Fact of the matter is, when I was in something like uh, third or fourth grade, the uh, Central Avenue School called all the parents on a threat from another third grade called Burnett Street School coming over there to have a knife fight with us and, you know, evacuated as many students as they could because they took it that seriously, right? I mean, I don't you know. Nobody showed up. We were happy to go home. We went out actually in the playground and played <laughs> baseball. Like, hey, okay, out of school? Yeah, right. Yeah. But, and the kids are hard too. It's like, well, you know, show up and scare us before we run. But they took it that seriously and it continued to deteriorate all the way up until like, say, 1967 when Newark exploded with the Newark riots. Uh, you know, National Guardsmen on the streets, burned out dilapidated buildings, uh, you know, snipers, people uh, running around looting in the whole you know, nine yards. Um, due to political reasons that later came out, the pressure was on, you know, the African-American people, anybody there, really, because it was a very cosmopolitan area. But the pressure was on everybody, and it exploded, like it does every time. You know, you're never going to have that not happen. The The... The idea, though, I, just to take it back to the idea of it, this is this may not be a, you may have a hard time answering this question, but it's kind of like uh, was uh, African Americans were seeing progress with civil rights moving along. Right. You did have people getting getting clipped and and getting knocked off. You know, there were leaders of the movement. Right. But was there a, a situation where white politicians, uh, the power brokers, so so so, so to be? so to speak, would say, you've had your time, enough is enough? Or did you feel like, it was the riots based on the fact that African Americans didn't feel that progress was being made quickly enough? Well, true, the latter. Progress wasn't being made quickly enough. Um, what actually started the riots was that a cab driver, oddly enough, had been killed in jail. He was held on some minor charges, and they accidentally killed him, whatever, and people just, you know, said, okay, that is enough. And then, you know, but... Uh, the investigations later in uncovered the fact that Mayor Hugh J. Adonisio at the time, who went to prison on corruption charges, you know, they were involved in basically keeping all the money to themselves and suppressing everyone else's chance to get ahead. You know, the whole idea of a middle class was being suppressed. So, so Newark became pretty much a pretty hot spot to live, and uh, it had a reputation for a long time after we left as the car theft capital of the world, you know, so. It, well, you know, it, and and you you think about it in today's standards, and there's these like these pristine mansion areas of Newark, and then there's also these like you know areas like, and then you even look uh, and the great arts center that they built there. But my friend, who's who's a who's a who's a in education and and a, and a journalist, he, he was out there for a conference with Cory Booker, and he was talking to uh, a guy who was uh, linked up with Facebook, and and they were sitting in this building, and the new Devils Hockey Arena is right there. And the guy said, he goes, you know, everybody here is missing the point. He goes, he points to the soccer stadium. He goes, every Saturday night there's 25,000 people filling that stadium and it's an ethnic melting pot. Right. That's America. So I, right. I, I guess my only, before, just to put a button on it, I, I am confounded as a 34-year-old male growing up in this time. As I, I, My only feeling is, is that you have white America, older white America, just unable to accept what we are we have become and and i think it's been going on for a long time it's obvious that way well it's been going on for forever i mean ask the indians 
<laughs> Part of my heritage. Fourteen ninety two. But you Homeland know, Security since fourteen ninety two. You know, we we it's an honor to have Amo here, and 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 he's brought some 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 uh, of his equipment today. And I was I was wondering if you wanted to to play a little bit of something right now. You uh, want to hear something right now? I would love to hear. Oh, something. Let me right grab now. something okay. and see what's up. Amo Amo is uh is quite dexterous. So take it away, my brother. Oh, let's see. Maybe a cold read. <laughs> It's a cold read, all right. <laughs> How I mean, talk about, especially when you got to uh, arts high school. Yeah, but did you like it? <laughs> of course, beautiful. No, I mean, but my, my what I'm leading into arts high, man. No, wow. no, but 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 let's let's go with the idea of of. I love that. You, the exposure to music was not just in the high school. You could walk down in your neighborhoods. I mean, music people playing outside in the street. You could hear music in the streets. You heard music everywhere because the walls were so thin and the construction was so crappy that I mean, <laughs> no, no. you know, you're talking about a, a melting pot right. of ethnicities. And whenever you have a melting pot of ethnicities, you're going to have a lot of that cultural outpouring. And we had a ton of it. You know, we had everybody from Cuba and, and, and Puerto Rico and all the immigrants came over there and, and New York was full. So you get off the boat, you end up in Newark. So, we, you know, we had Italians and, and, and everybody. Okay. I mean, when I mean everybody, I mean everybody. Okay, but so I heard Latin music. I smelled, you know, uh, Russian food. You know, I heard music from China. You know, one of one of the, my first experiences with an interracial couple was a black guy and a Japanese girl that lived in our our our, our courtyard, and uh, you know they were. She was the sweetest lady you ever seen in your life. So, you know, all this stuff about, oh, they're going to get you. And you meet this person, you go, well, she's not. <laughs> Maybe somebody is, but she's not. Right. So I, I've never been anywhere that has, you know, prepared me for the rest of my life like Nork did. Because you had a multicultural experience. You had respect for people for who they were. I mean, if you were a person of integrity, it didn't matter what your background was or your financial circumstances or even your politics to that extent because cool was cool and uncool was uncool. And you had a chance at a very early age, I mean on the way to nursery school and back, you had a chance to experience six different neighborhoods and you know, and all that comes with it and the culture. So you heard music all the time and you didn't you didn't lock it off into a certain sort of genre or style, you know, it was good or it was bad. I tell people all the time, you know, they see me with my dreads and, you know, my my look, and they say, well, what kind of music do you play? And I say, you know, there's only two kinds, good and bad. We, <laughs> we play good. <laughs> and it's true because, uh, I mean, you have literally, uh, you know, you, I think, are pretty modest about it, but the ability to play all different styles 
I mean, in, I'm very conflicted because in all my interviews, I talk, I lambaste the idea of labels, but yet every time I'm talking about it, I'm t- I'm saying Amo can play Native American. He's playing. You, with, you have to use one I, I, to communicate. So, so how do you get around? How do well, I? You know. That's well, <laughs> funny question because on the way to the forum, I did all these things. <laughs> uh, you know, you you can't get around it. You have to incorporate it. You know, uh, what I've done with, I made like over 50 records with this person, that person, a bunch of my own. Most of them were a, a collection of styles, you know, more of a cacophony. Whereas this, my, my latest release, the solo piano album, is right down the middle. It's just beautiful piano music. So, you know, it's easy to describe. Uh, when the distributors were trying to, you know, put labels on the Canyon Records products and this record and that, they had a hard time saying, well, wh- what kind of music is it? So uh, that's hard. For a long time, music was just very down the middle of the road, you know, country, folk, blues. Blues guys didn't rock out. Rock guys didn't play gospel. So, and that had happened for so long. And then, of course, with, you know, better communication and all this sort of stuff, people started to trade. Just like when we were growing up and smelling and hearing all these different cultures, you start to trade your ideas. And then the fusion era came about. Remember, the fusion era came about and everybody was playing a snippet of this and a snippet of that in their Productions, right? So, so it kind of goes both ways. No, but but I, you know, before we uh, we're going to listen to some of this, uh, this uh, from his, from Nork. His, no, well, we were going to do that, but you've segued into this. Uh, I wanted to talk to yes, you. Yes, we are plugging before, before we go, before we go. <laughs> we'll plug it. But before we go in, I want you to talk about your mental state, where you were in your life, in where you created this, because oh. you're so proud of this, <laughs> and rightfully so. <laughs> You want me to talk about that now? Okay, let's. You know, <laughs> you guys let's, got let, a couple of months. Let, let's uh, let's cue it up and yeah, let's play some. Let's first. play some, and then we'll lighten it up and we'll do it. Let's just say that it's called "Not Out of Words" and solo piano.
Not Out of Words, the latest release from Amo Chip Dabney, Improvisational Suite for Piano. So that tune was called Tumamak Mornings. Mornings. Talk about what, the meaning of that. Well, um, when I sit out, when I sit at the piano uh, at my house, I'm looking at Tumamak Hill there. And uh, it was... Uh, inspiring enough to I'm sitting there and I'm playing and that that track actually I had microphones placed in all these different places and I had changed that later but I was just sitting there with a real live sound looking at the hill um, recently had gone through a divorce and was feeling like it's time to pour out all of this in forms of uh, you know of music and my way of expressing so not just that but all of the transitions of my life things that I have let go like sports and and uh, certain outfits that I've played with like Sun Ra and with Carlos Nakai and traveling all around and doing those things and different types of music that I've processed that were you know, multifaceted or came from many genres. Okay, boom, all that's done. This thing I wanted to just put right down the middle. It's basically heart and soul Amo Chip. It's improvised, so it's not like, okay, you know, wait a minute, let me change this and write the, oh no, a B flat would work better. This just comes out. I did about four or five hours of playing and then I basically picked the tracks that I thought made the statement. That most normal human beings cannot do that. <laughs> but normal? He, yeah, exactly. No, but the, 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 the reality is, can you talk a little bit? I mean, this is so interesting for, for younger cats that are, you know, in bands right now, you, you know, whether it was Nakai or Sun Ra or the West Coast in San Francisco or the whatever stuff was going on with, you know, the the Emerson, Lake and Palmer stuff. And, and, you know, talk about the relationship of a band being the same as a marriage. I mean, the break, you said these transitions, they're intense. They are. I mean, it's the, I mean, a, a family or a, or a marriage, you know, depending, it's the same thing there or a team. You know, it's a relationship where you're counting on each other to do many things, not just play. You know, your personality is a part of it. You know, your preparation is a part of it. You know, like John Wooden said, failing to prepare is like preparing to fail. So, you know, you... you I miss that guy. No, I I'm, miss yeah. that guy, man. Yeah, right? Well, they're coming back. Yeah. yeah. You know, we, in, uh, we, we, we before uh, Amo, just, he played that incredible soprano sax piece, little improvisation, Goodbye Pork Pie Hat. We have a couple minutes before break. Would love to love to hear maybe another another improvisational piece. Okay, let's see. Let's see how this read is. <laughs> Trying to maximize our time here with Amo Chip Dabney. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. 
two types of music out there, good and bad. So who uh, who was who were you emulating? Any any uh, tribute there? No, nah, that's me. <laughs> and the other the other one was me too. But while I was doing it, uh, Charlie Mingus rolled through my head, and so while I was doing that one, actually John Gilmore, who played with Sun Ra, mm-hmm. the late John Gilmore, and Marshall Allen, who played with Sun Ra and had that trill technique I was using on the A key in the bottom stack. Uh, he did that. So that's who gets conjured up because it's a flow. And those guys just, you know, they're like, hey, Amo, let me, let me pop it and say something. And I let them come in. Yeah, I can relate to the Mingus thing, and that's a story for another time. We're going to go, we're talking to Amo Chip Dabney. We've got a lot more to do. We're going to go into his latest band, the Amosphere, yeah. play a lot of tunes there, and uh, come back on the other side of the break and do a whole lot more. This is the Jake Feinberg Show on KWFM. The Jake Feinberg Show will be right back. NBC News Radio, I'm Dan Scanlon. A team of Romney and Ryan are stumping the state of Virginia. In Manassas, Romney was pleased with his new running mate. Today was a good day for me, I gotta tell you. It was also a good day for America. We've taken the next step to restoring America's promise with Paul Ryan as our nominee for Vice President. Ryan, a seven-term congressman from Wisconsin and chairman of the House Budget Committee, wasted no time in predicting the outcome of the election. Guess what? November 6th, we take our country back. Romney and Ryan are winding up a bus tour of Virginia, and their bus will take them to North Carolina, Florida, and Ohio. President Obama won those four swing states in 2008. Senate Democratic leader Harry Reid says Romney's choice of Ryan caters to the Tea Party and the far right. Reid says Romney plans to dismantle Social Security and end Medicare as we know it. This is NBC News Radio. Today my journey to help save people money on car insurance brings me to a shopping mall. Of course, when it comes to shopping for car insurance, most people go to Geico. I mean, with all the discounts they offer, why would you shop anywhere else? There are discounts for complete and defensive driving courses, multi-policy discounts, and discounts for being accident-free. You know, this mall is a real maze. I think I'll pass that candle store about five times. For a free rate quote, visit Geico.com to see how much you could save. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Jay with SafeLight Auto Glass. We know you depend on your vehicle. So when you have auto glass damage, you need it fixed fast. SafeLight has more glass in stock than anyone. So when you schedule a replacement with SafeLight, we'll get you back on your way faster. Plus, our work is backed by the only national lifetime guarantee. Keeping you covered anywhere. Just tell your insurance company you want SafeLight. Or call 1-800-800-2727. Or go to SafeLight.com. SafeLight Repair, SafeLight Replace. Listen, if you're considering buying hardwood flooring, don't do anything until you've written down this number and received your free Lumber Liquidators catalog. The flooring was high quality with an unbeatable price tag. Call in the next 10 minutes to get your free catalog. What I bought at Lumber Liquidators is a vastly higher quality than flooring I had installed six years ago and for a fraction of the cost. So if you want great hardwood flooring at unbeatable prices, trust Lumber Liquidators. We buy direct from the mills. 
Call right now to get our flooring guide and catalog absolutely free. It's filled with top quality hardwood flooring, including solid hardwoods, laminates, and bamboos, and even Bella Wood prefinished flooring with a 100-year transferable warranty. The same floor Bob Vila has in his home. This free catalog is full of tips, ideas, and our flooring project list to make your buying decisions easy. Hurry, call right now to get a copy of this free guide and catalog. Call 800-690-9490 to get your free copy now. 800-690-9490. 800- 690-9490. Know that when you're insuring valuable goods, you have an agent you can trust. Craig Pretzinger is that agent. For auto, home, and life insurance, the Pretzinger Agency is Tucson's most honest and flexible insurance company. Have off-road vehicles or motor homes? Pretzinger can cover that as well. Pretzinger Agency at 299-5810, located across the street from Sullivan Steakhouse on the southwest corner of River and Camp. Trust, compassion, and service. The whole package at Pretzinger Agency. Call 299-5810 or text quote to 520-582-5150. 520-582-5150. Folks, this is Jake Feinberg. When it came time to decide where to buy my daughter a piano last year, the choice was easy. We got it at Hackenberg & Sons Piano Company. Located at 4333 East Broadway Boulevard, Hackenberg & Sons is Tucson's longest-running family-owned piano business. Run by three brothers and a son, they pride themselves on superior instruments and customer satisfaction. It's why they've been around so long. And it's why their pianos are used at the University of Arizona, Pima Community College, and many other prestigious institutions. So whether it's for your child, business, or yourself, when you buy a piano, make sure you go to Hackenberg & Sons. It'll be the beginning of a long-lasting partnership. For more information, visit them at hackenbergpiano.com. The 8th Annual Tucson Record Show is Sunday, November 11th from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. at the Las Casolitas Events Center, 1365 West Grant Road, just west of I-10. Admission is $4. Dealer tables are $35 in advance and $40 the week of the show. Last year, all the tables sold out, and I can attest, I picked up some incredible Cal Jader records. Contact Bruce Smith at 520-622-0104 or at Cassidy Collectibles at earthlink.net, records, CDs, and music memorabilia. The 8th Annual Tucson Record Show, Sunday, November 11th, at the Las Casuelitas Event Center. Be there. On the continuum of stereos, there are the good, the bad, the ugly, the nondescript, the esoteric, the mundane. You might have one for which there are no adequate words. At Stereo Hospital, we try to be universally accepting of them all, no matter how expensive or cheap or compromised or vilified or revered they might be. For a minimal charge, we will put your malfunctioning stereo on our workbench and determine how serious its problems are. Guaranteed repairs are completed only with your approval of the final cost. If you want to take a giant step backwards to 1970, we have vintage receivers, turntables, speakers, and tape decks for sale with full warranty at reasonable prices. For service on and sales of stereo equipment of all kinds, the in-crowd meets at 4044 East Speedway inside Metronome Music. You can confirm our hours of operation and phone at StereoHospital.com, where the misbehaven and misbegotten are rendered civilized and attractive, if humanly possible. Folks, this is Jake Feinberg. One of the first things I wanted to do when I moved to Tucson was find authentic Chinese cuisine. After a tip from the Chinese Student Association, I headed over to Badar Chinese Restaurant. Well, it's been seven years, and I have never looked back. Located at 7321 East Broadway Boulevard, Badar has been a family-run operation since 1992. The award-winning chef produces succulent dishes from sizzling ginger chicken to salt and pepper shrimp. 
The thing that separates Badar from the rest is that the chef procures ancient oriental dishes with the exotic island flair of Taiwan. Most importantly, there are no gimmicks or razzle-dazzle at Badar. You won't find any flat-screen TVs or karaoke machines. Badar is a place to go enjoy good food and spend time with your family. It exudes peace and tranquility after a long week of work. So come down and check out Badar Chinese Restaurant. Hong Hao Chu, it's that good. part of the solution you're part of the problem be a part of a new coalition with jake feinberg the second half of my show starts right now welcome back everybody to the jake feinberg show joined here today local musical hero and uh still uh, still doing it every day i'm ochip dab you welcome back yo so i'm not gonna let you get so port here on high you moved to michigan i didn't realize that and you you graduated from there, and you went on to the University of Michigan on a football scholarship? A football track scholarship. Track? Yeah, I was running. Uh, I actually went to like three high schools because I enrolled in Arts High you know, at the urging of my music director, and my sports urge got the better of me, and they said, Amo, oh, you're so good. You know, I said, well, if I'm that good, I can pick this up later, but the sports thing has to happen now. Ah, so um, with great trepidation on their part, they released me uh, like Guantanamo or something, <laughs> and I went back to the war zone of Westside High School to qualify to play ball, and I played baseball there. Uh, varsity baseball my freshman year as a catcher and it was funny because you know like the first nine times I saw a pitch it was oh, 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 oh. but I finally caught up to it but then we moved because Nork had you know exploded and in 68 to Port Huron my mother's hometown in Michigan up on the eastern shore and I enrolled in Port Huron High School where I played football and ran track because the uh, track coach there uh, wasn't going to let me play baseball he didn't like me and he wasn't going to let me play so I figured well screw that Run track, get faster. That worked out pretty good. Right. So and I got a scholarship to University of Michigan. Uh, the only guy on that team to get a scholarship out, and uh, off I went, blew up my knee, and that was the end of the dream because at one point you're considered uninsurable. So it's a career-ending uh, patella injury. It was severed and jettisoned up into my left thigh. But uh, they reconstructed my knee to the point where I could walk, and they said I'd never get more than a 45 radius of motion in that knee again, and as you can see... It's they're, good. They're still practicing. But then, that's but then I see Amo today, and we're, we're, he's lugging up his, his horns, and he's like, my knee's killing me. Now, <laughs> that, you know, that, there you it's go. It's raining. That's right. The joint's killing. That's right. Hey, I'm the national forecast system here. Really. I can tell you when it's just going to be wet or if it's actually going to, like, rain. When, when, when exactly. When, <laughs> when uh, not to jump too far ahead, but uh, when, when did you move to the Bay Area, and why did you make that move? Uh, I voted for Jimmy Carter in, 19- <laughs> in 76 and packed up the car. I had a, a five-door Polaro wagon. My first wife, uh, what's her name again? Uh, Jackie. Yeah, that girl. And um, two other friends, uh, Jack Hand and this guy named Rick Sneed, who's a Facebook friend now. Uh, we drove out to uh, the Bay Area because North Carolina at the time was living in Charlotte. And Charlotte was a dry county. Mecklenburg County was a dry county. didn't sell liquor by the drink. So you couldn't make any money in the clubs. And you could make money in the resorts and, you know, those gigs. But it was so competitive, and I liked it. But, God, man, you'd fall asleep playing John Denver songs over and over. I mean, I like you, John. It was good stuff, you know. Rest in peace. But so we had, you know, we, as they say, we, we, we packed up the truck and moved to Beverly. We moved to the Bay Area in 76. So. Uh, we knew that the music scene was still happening out there. You know, there was uh, a multitude of ethnicities 
out there, so you could play different styles, and and the money was better. And there was a, it, it was a, a lot of clubs, so you could play live. Live music, music in the parks. You know, the city was behind it. There were clubs. You know, the Fillmore was there. You know, the Waldorf was there. Everybody who was anybody came through there, as opposed to Charlotte at that time. You know, not that many touring jazz acts stopped in Charlotte. Anyway, so the Bay Area was a very live area. The, and and it, at that time, uh, as you progressed. Uh, like, how did you get connected? Who were the, some of the integral guys that you know when you came up? Did you know anybody mm. going out there? Or, no, yeah. no, not so at you soul. got and you just kind of got out there and, and uh, what what you do to start? You just played on the street or what? <laughs> what, you, what were you doing? I got a job. <laughs> uh, I got there, you know, during the Christmas hiring season, which made it easy to get some sort of seasonal employment. So I got this job at Williams Sonoma, the gourmet kitchenware company uh, which is homed uh, was their home offices there in san francisco can't even imagine <clears throat> what it was like back then well, <laughs> now <yeah>. it's exploded <laughs> it was in emeryville at the time so we were in the east bay uh-huh. and uh i was like a boxer you know you did i'd worked on a conveyor belt and stuff would come down the line and you would assess how much it was and figure out what box to put it in you were a boxer so you know i wouldn't punch anybody but that came later but anyway <laughs> what hasn't come yeah, yeah right so i got promoted uh when they cut the staff to run in the post office, then they got promoted again to run in the uh, shipping and receiving department, organized them and did that. And then they wanted to make me a manager. And I said, you know, guys, I came out here to play music. And I'm, you know, nine to five, you got me. After that, I'm on my thing. They said, well, we got to have weekends and all this. I said, well, you know, can I just run? They said, you're fired. So, okay. <laughs> I guess my music career begins now. <laughs> so, so at the time, I was really interested in playing jazz and acoustic stuff. And I had an upright bass and a soprano sax that I was working with. I ran into a guy who was a biochemist over at uh, UC San Francisco, working on some pretty heavy stuff, named Dick Crook, who was actually out of Phoenix, Arizona. He was a pianist. Uh, and we started playing the coffee houses and the cafes, you know, as a duo. You know, you could make decent enough money doing that. I got hired by some other bands to play bass in a, actually a New Orleans sort of, you know, tribute band. And what else was going on? And, and I was doing some freelance stuff. Uh, and a f- fortunate thing happened to me because there was a place called the Blue Dolphin in San Francisco, you know, which was a little one-room club. You know, didn't serve any alcohol, but they would have really cutting-edge artists come by and play. And one night I went down there, and at that time, man, I went everywhere with my horn, everywhere, bathroom, hallway, you know. That was the way it was. That was the way it was. I met cats playing in the park and whatnot. But anyway, I go down to the Blue Dolphin to see the late Jim Pepper. You know, he's on tour down from Alaska. the first Native American really accredited for playing jazz, right, tenor saxophonist. And I'm sitting out there with like, you know, maybe 14 other people, and we're like clapping because he's wailing, you know. And we talk to him on a break, you know, we're outside having a smoke and we're talking to him on a break. And he says, uh, yep, so did you bring your horn? <laughs> Absolutely. So I go get my horn, come back in and do the next set with Jim Pepper. Oh, that's oh, great. Man. Cool stuff, you know, love the guy, man. Before you know, I just as a, as and we could talk for hours. But the 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 how did you come about to work with uh, with Sun Ra and his orchestra? <laughs> it's like the same story, just change the names. I was going to out, I bought, for, out, I for a, out of the smoke. Did you bring your horn? I, no, <laughs> <laughs> I bought a ticket uh, and I went over to see him. And I got there a little early because I had been playing uh, bass and, and sax and some piano with the trumpet player that used to work with these guys named Eddie Gale. And, uh, I, you know, we go in, and at the old Waldorf, you know, there's, there's a restaurant there. And as you come in, the guys are all sitting there, the whole band sitting there eating. And I walk by, and they go, hey, John Gilmore. I say, man, Eddie Gale says hi. And they go, Eddie Gale says, hey, you know. So we start talking. 
And it comes up that I'm a bassist, and I play with Eddie. He says, you played with Eddie? You're playing with Eddie? I said, yeah, right now. He says, you want to do the gig? <laughs> yeah. He says, go get your bass, because I didn't bring it, you know. So I zoom back across the bay, because I'm living in Oakland, San Francisco. I zoom back across the bay. East Bay, Greece. Right, in yeah, my right? little M- <laughs> MGC sports car, right? You know, 400 miles an hour. Grab my acoustic bass in the station wagon, the other car, and put on, because Sunrod, you know, they didn't, you had that word, cover your head, skull cap, you know, don't show too much skin, dress up. They didn't have wardrobe for me, so I go get my stuff, and I'm flying back across the bay. We come walking in with my pregnant lady, as I call it, my acoustic bass. The band has already started, you know, and I, I'm so excited, I forget to be intimidated by this, because they're, they're, they're off the hook, man. You know, the trumpet player's circular breathing and doing uh, yoga stunts with his leg up in the air for the whole thing. Anyway. So <laughs> I walk in, and I, you know, uh, Sonny motions to me, come on, come on up right, right now, you know. So I walk right in, pull the bass out, boom, take it out of the case on stage, pop it into the spot, you know, and he just goes, he, he lifts his hand, like, go ahead. <laughs> so boom, we play. We do the whole rest of the first set, come back, everybody's like, high five, hey man, yada, 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 do you want to do the tour? I'm like, oh man. So I'm honored, right? I got stuff going on in San Francisco. I gotta hold, I gotta stop that from you. <laughs> You're telling me that unprompted you yes. walked into the old Waldorf, they're having dinner, yeah. and somehow they needed a bass player, and all of a sudden you now <laughs> I for because I'm not a huge sunny guy, but just because I haven't listened to a lot of it, but if you could explain to the audience were, were you just familiar with all the tunes, or was this just totally free stuff, and you were just going? Because the way you play at the almost with the atmosphere, you play free. I mean, you do. Well, I didn't. I couldn't name a single cut that they did. I I'd listened to some of their stuff, but Genius. I wasn't really. I wasn't listening to the titles and stuff because they were traveling. Yeah. You know, and uh, you know, through the genres when they were just playing, he wrote a lot of stuff out too. From you know, he was really influenced by Fletcher Henderson, who he was a ra- an arranger for, but. At the time, you know, we were all interested in just, I mean, my God, you've been studying music for most of your life. If you can't, it's like if you're an author or a teacher and you know a subject so well and someone says, hey, can you come speak on, you know, biology? You say, well, wait a minute, let me let me get some notes here. You don't know what you're talking about. So as a musician, I felt like I could just get up there and play. So I did. I got, he felt it. They thought so. I guess that's what we were doing with Eddie. So I got up there and he just points to me and I play and he points to me and says, do a solo and I do a solo and yada, yada, yada. You know, once you identify the keys and the changes and you're on bass, so you're looking just for roots and grooves. So I did that. And so they invited me on the tour. So I did the rest of California with them. And then I had things going on in the Bay Area and, you know, they were going all the way back across the country. So I had to say, thank you, but I got to go back to my life. But it was great because it was, it was all improvisational stuff. And then, of course, later I got some charts and stuff like that. But Just uh, one, one final question about the Bay Area. Uh, was Mothers Against Drunk Driving, was that the reason music, uh, the music scene became whittled down anywhere? In the, meaning that you couldn't, because um, why did it go from this? I'm not just talking about the Bay Area because every hub in the country Chicago, Houston, Miami, New York. Okay, they all had you could you, you'd bump into clubs everywhere. The Blue Dolphin, or you know, it didn't matter. There were and and why did the club scene? People just didn't want people drinking that late, and they just shut things down. Well, you know, I don't really know because I 
was in different. I've been in seven different parts of the country, you know, in a sense. I mean, the club scene in, in, in the East is more vibrant because you have a greater population than it is out West, where there's a lot of distance between places. And then you don't have a very cosmopolitan mix of people. So, you know, you have a few clubs of this, a few clubs of that. Rock clubs are doing well. Jazz clubs are dying. Blues clubs are, you know, there's only a few left. And then if you go to New Orleans or you go to Seattle or you go to Kansas City, St. Louis, you know, you've got a lot of blues clubs and you don't have so many fusion clubs so it's regional you know it's monetary it's what caught my attention what caught my attention was the fact that you were like i left the band because i had a lot of work and the thing is any guys i talked to from the bay area they're lucky if they get they were working 26 out of 30 nights a week for a long time and now they're lucky if they get six yeah you know so that to me is there are factors there many factors that you can't exactly and i think you're making a good point of it is that I guess m- one of the intentions of the Jake Fiber show is to enlighten those and the understanding that everyone's heritage, their music is important because though you like you have Afro-Cuban clubs, you can even have gay and lesbian clubs. It doesn't matter, but you can still bring all types of different music. It's, wanna- a, meet- it's a meeting place. It's it's a Congo Square, if you will. But you know, um, the the thing about it is is that you you you, you have musicians aren't are, case in point, the Elcom Bar and Grill was having a free Tuesday evening music performance. The atmosphere was playing there. You know, it was right there with the beautiful golf course, all ages show because of a restaurant. BMI and ASCAP get wind of it. Call these guys up and tell them they have to play, they have to pay this huge fee to have the music there because they're playing cover tunes and whatnot and blah, blah, blah. They want their cut. It's almost like a shakedown. Mm-hmm. Now, they only have the music one or two nights a week, you know, maybe even three, but they wanted them, pay, they wanted them to pay like they were doing five, six, seven nights a week. And it's unfair. You can't operate when you're not bringing that much in to have to pay that much out, you know. So, well, now now we're getting to the to the belly of the beast and the bad guys here. And then you know you have the smoking ban because a lot of people who go to clubs like to smoke, you know, in the clubs. So now you have to make a consideration where there's a smoking area which is not necessarily near the music, or you include all the people who don't want to smoke, like say on a patio, with the people who want to smoke. You know what I mean? So, you know, and then the. You know, the DUI squads are out, so people feel like, well, I'll just have a glass of water and go. So then they're not tipping, you know, they're not spending as as much money in the club. You know, we always tell people, look, even if you come out to hear the music and you drink water, drop a couple of bucks in the box for the people there. You know, they're still getting paid. You know, that's how they make their living. So you maybe you don't have to pay a cover at the door, or you do pay a cover at the door. That money actually goes to somebody there as opposed to just the owner. Uh, his most recent configuration is the Amosphere. This is your current band, and uh, and it, we have some time here. Let's let's cue up a track, and uh, we'll come back and we will talk about it. Okay. Cool beans.
I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that we're we're in the presence of a two-time Grammy nominee, Amochip Dabney. Talk a little bit about that tune. Well, that tune is called The Roof, that the band in the Atmosphere plays. It's a, a winner. Every time we play it, people hit the dance floor. It's a composition by War, and uh, it's on their Peace Sign album. Uh, an album most people are not familiar with, but I'm telling you, I recommend it. Well, really, there's like four really good cuts on them, and we do three. <laughs> but they're good. Wild Rodriguez, The Roof are a couple of winners. What are the Grammy Awards? Uh, you get the award, and what does it mean to you spiritually? Well, let me clarify, because people have come up to me and said, oh, so you won the Grammy. I didn't, I didn't win the gold medal. I'm on the podium. You know, you're top five in the world in a genre. Ours was the Native American genre and New Age genre. You get voted on by having some product out there, a record, by the Naris Association. And uh, you have to get voted into the second, into the first round, then they vote on that to the second round where you are on what's called the entry list. I made the entry list about six times or so. But then there is the, the, the next to last voting round, like the semifinals, where you become a nominee. If you make it to that wow. top five, mm. you're a nominee. Mm-hmm. So I've done that twice. And what was cool was I did it two years in a row and we did it I did it at my house, at my home studio, Completely Bear Studio. So that's the cool part for me is that in my little lab in my basement, <laughs> this stuff was made. Hey, let's let's hear some more atmosphere. Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah. What you got? Yellow moon. Oh. Whoa, yellow moon, yellow moon. Why do you keep 
a track entitled yellow moon so i mean you're how you're howling in the moon right now oh man that's that's a fun solo i love that one um well, we have uh you know your career like you said it spanned many musical lifetimes and it's going to continue and i look forward to uh, working with you as a team to build a bridge to really solid music in this in the old pueblo I'm with you on that, Jake. I appreciate you having me on your show. This was really a lot of fun to do. We need to do this again. We absolutely will. Uh, folks, I'm Ochip Dabney, two-time Grammy Award winner, latest CD. Not out of words. Solo piano. Highly recommended. You can see him every Friday night at the Chicago Bar. Yes. With the Amosphere. This is the Jake Feinberg Show on KWFM 1330. The Star. CBS News, I'm Sam Litzinger. 
Mitt Romney's vice presidential pick is all.